Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. This has a potential to be a hostage situation, and that is a, I don't know if that's a promise or a threat, but if you are done before I am, you're welcome to go. We won't be mad at you, but uh, we're going to get into the Word of God today. And um, all right. Let me just say one thing to you, just to remind you. I said this to the people who were here earlier. The other night I was watching a television program and it, it just became vile really quick. I don't know if you've ever experienced that on Netflix, but it's just, it's like no warning, no music. It's just like, whoa! Like, I, I felt like I was violated in a sense. Like, I'm like, like I did not come here for this, you know, and, and so, you know, and, you know, between us all, like, I have, like, like I haven't pursued porn or drugs or coke for over 20 years. So it's like, I'm not, it doesn't, I'm not interested in that. And when the devil tempts you, the temptations are always relevant to your season. So if that stuff is still tempting to you, you, you are, you are like technon. You are like little, like the, the temptations become different and more masked like if you if sex drugs and rock and roll is still tempting you you need to get born again you need to repent and you need to really change and let the lord grow you so that the devil has to bring something a little bit more deceptive to you than something that's blatantly evil and wicked that's only going to bring destruction so i i felt really dis i didn't feel good in my spirit so what i did is i gave him a thumbs down i unfollowed the program and then what did i do i prayed of course i said lord I don't want those images in my heart or in my mind. I don't want those sounds. You have to be careful. Let me tell you something. I'm going to give you a key to something. You have to be careful of sounds, images, and fragrances. I just gave you something there for free. Sounds, images, and fragrances. You, you have to be very careful. So I prayed, and then what did I do? I want to, I'm, I'm using this as an example to show you something. I, I took out Daniel chapter 10. I took out Revelation chapter 1, and I looked at Jesus. Why would I say that? I say that because there is a fight for your attention, for your affections, and for your imaginations. And what you give your imaginations to, what you entertain, that is what will bear fruit in your life. So when you hear someone talk, when, they, when, you, when you get close to someone and they start spitting out all their negativity, how bad their husband is, how terrible their wife is, how horrible their job is, they won't tell you that it was all of their choices that brought that. Right? They will just spit out their negativity and their complaining and their stuff. And you know why? Because that's what they're dwelling on. See? So that, as, as my pastor David said, Greco, your language locates you. People will pass the blame. People will, and until you assume responsibility for your life and for your future, you won't get a breakthrough. And here's, here's, here's the, the bottom line. The bottom line is what you entertain and what you engage in and what you pursue, that's what you'll have more of. So if you're pursuing Jesus, if you're pursuing the word of God, then that's what you'll have more of. If you're pursuing other stuff, that's what you'll have more of. And I'm, I'm saying this to, to you guys because you, can God speak to you when you're watching TV? 
Can God speak to you when you're, when you're looking at your finances? Can God speak to you when you're, na when you're navigating your broken sexuality? Can God speak to you and say, no daughter, why don't you ask yourself why you like that? Why don't, why don't you ask yourself, son, why, you, why you're like that? Because you can do crazy stuff and until you allow God to address why, you will keep on doing crazy stuff that will bring death into your life. And I don't want that. The whole, the whole point of the Christian life is that you would have life and have life more abundantly. And Jesus paid an incredible, incredible, incredible price for you to have something that is abundant, that can't be bought or sold. I don't know about you, but if you, if you buy something nice, don't you want it to be right? I bought a pair of sneakers the other day. There was a scratch on the buckle, and I said, oh, no, not for that price. Those things are going back. So don't you want, let me ask you this, don't you want Jesus to get what he paid for? You, like, he paid for all of you. He didn't pay to share you with the devil to share you with the world, to share you with anxiety, to share you with porn, to share you with greed, to share you with fear, to share you with your mother-in-law's opinion of you. He, he did not die to have some of you, but he died to have all of you. And there's something that I really, really want you to hear today, because some of what I'm going to say is not easy to hear. But the, mo most of the, the most valuable things that I've been told about my life that have helped me grow have not been easy. Deborah was saying, Lord, offend us, you know, and, and that's the truth stings before it cleans. Like, you know, when you pour antiseptic on a cut, yeah, it stings a little, but that sting is letting you know there's something there that needs to be removed and there's something open that needs to be closed and there is a cleansing process that is taking place. So if it doesn't sting, I don't know what church you're going to. I don't know who you're listening to. You're not listening to me because it has to sting because I'm going to get stung on Saturday night. So you have to get stung a little bit on Sunday or else what are you doing, you know? So anyway, Daniel chapter 10. But before I dive into Daniel chapter 10, this is the question. Can the Lord speak to you? Like if the Lord has clearly spoken something in his word, will you respond to it? If the Holy Spirit is like, no, that offends me, turn it off. Will you do it? This is, I'm, I'm asking you a rhetorical question because God wants to live in relationship with us as his people. Okay, Daniel, the 10th chapter. Um, let, me, let me read to you verse 4 on. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, this is Nisan, this is Passover. Remember, Daniel was not celebrating Passover because the people of God are in bondage, the people of God are afflicted, and during a time that would normally be marked by feasting and celebration, he is fasting and he is praying. But he is not fasting and praying for his situation because he lives in a palace and he's good, but he's actually fasting and praying for the situation of God's people because they are not living in a palace and they are not good. Some of them are in so much bondage that Babylon said, hey, you guys are free to leave. And they go, oh, we'll, we'll stay here. Imagine you, you finished your jail sentence. You know, you did five years, you know, for uh, armed robbery. And they say, okay, brother, well, you're, you're free to go. And you go, no, nah, I'm good. I'm staying. And they, and, they, and they go, what? Yeah, I'm good. I'm staying. The rent is free. I get meals. I get to work out. I'm staying. And they go, well, what do you mean you're staying? Your sentence is over. 
No, I'm staying. This is the condition of the children of Israel. They stayed in a land that they were taken to. So, so people will get so used to bondage that they won't go free when, when God has made a way for them to be free. I, I just made a statement on um, Facebook about getting into debt is not the way to build wealth. There's a Christian fighting with me about getting into debt on there. Now, he's doing it in a respectful manner, but this is how people's mind can be so, come so conditioned to the world that they will look at things from the world's perspective, not from the kingdom's perspective. The Bible never, ever, ever once mentions debt in a positive light. Never. It says that the borrower is a servant to the lender. It says that the rich rule over the poor. It says all of these things that basically says don't engage in unnecessary stuff. I'm not saying you can't have a mortgage or a car payment, but excessive debt is actually a character issue. And I know because I went through it. That's a whole nother thing. The Lord asked me, when are you going to stop giving your future away? So if, if that's something that you're battling with, it's all right. I've been there. We, we've been there. But you've got to get God's perspective on money or you'll mishandle money. And if you miss, must handle money, money will mishandle you. See, so, so anyway, these people were offered freedom and stayed in slavery. Now, what does this mean for Babylon? It means free slave labor. The, the whole reason that there is a contention, if you, if you continue in Daniel chapter 10, 21 days the angel is trying to break through. Are, are you guys alive here? Uh, 21 days the angel is trying to break through. There's a, there's a battle in the second heaven, but the battle is not for the heavens. The battle is for the earth. The battle is because there is an agreement on earth with the demonic realm, which is leaving people cursed, impoverished, and enslaved. Okay? So now the angel is breaking through to bring Daniel a message of freedom so that the demonic realm does not want that to happen because then the free slave labor is over. The Bible has so much to say about economics, it would shock you. That's why when you are a believer, you have to get God's heart and God's mind on a situation. So if my wife and I are talking about money, if we're talking about planning, if we're, whatever it is, we're we want to get what does God say about this situation and how do I move forward with confidence and authority in this situation? It has to be based upon not what I feel, not what I think, not some sort of impulse. What does God say? I, so I, I want to build the discipline in you to say, what does God say about this? Now you have children. Now you're trying to raise your children. What does God say to fathers? What does God say to mothers? What, this, is, this is a very, very critical thing in your life if you're going to walk out your faith in real life. Right? Not just come to church, throw a little money in the bucket, and live like the devil. But if you're really going to be a kingdom family, then your decision-making process must be according to the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river Tigris. That, uh, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, who was girded of gold, Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face 
like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words sounded like the voice of a multitude. Next verse. I and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. The voice of God sounded like a multitude. Stick with me. And I alone saw the vision. When Daniel is standing alone, what does the voice of God sound like? A multitude. You're not alone. <laughs> he is alone, but he is not alone. He alone saw the vision... But the voice of God always sounds like what you need in that season. Daniel is the only one that is receiving this revelation. Daniel is the only one who is responsible to write this revelation and to seal this revelation. And when God gets his attention, when God apprehends him, he sounds like a multitude. To a man who is standing alone. You better learn how to stand alone or you won't stand. I didn't come here for a popularity contest. I'm not here to be liked. or. Li you have to learn how to stand alone or you will not stand. You have to have a little bit of strength in your back. And you need to learn how to stand alone and stand up and say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to participate with that. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to affirm that. I'm not, no. These guys, Daniel gets these revelation. These guys are running out of there scared. People are like, oh, I just want an encounter with Jesus. Jesus will scare the hell out of you. And that's good because hell doesn't, shouldn't belong, it doesn't belong in you. <laughs> you okay? Everyone's all right? I, Daniel, saw the vision alone. Not, not, let me say this to you. Not everything is for everyone. Every, the same thing happened to Saul. Saul was on the road to Damascus. They didn't see what he saw. He saw it. All right, we're going to continue. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this in now. We're going to talk about John, because John sees what Daniel saw, but more. The book of Revelation is the revelation. First of all, it's not the book of Revelations, plural. <laughs> you reading Revelation, that's not a book in the Bible. <laughs> the book of Revelation is the uncovering or the unveiling, apocalypse is of Jesus, not of the end, not of the Antichrist, of Jesus. Look at the throne, look at the white horse, look at Jesus, not all that other stuff that people are confused about and don't know what they're even talking about. Don't listen to people who don't know what they're talking about. A lot of people do not know what they're talking about. I'm telling you. Now this is from Fox's Book of Martyrs. The beloved disciple was brother to James the Great, 
the churches of Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Thyatira were founded by him, John. Six of the seven churches that he is going to address were founded by John. Let me say one thing to you. I will not speak to your children the, the way I will speak to my children. If I have to tell them, hey, stop, don't do that, I will. But I will not speak to, track with me for a second, I will not speak to your children the way I speak to my children because I don't know the standard in your home. But I know the standard in my home. And that standard will get pressed upon. No matter what, I don't care. And I'll be in public and I'll tell them I'm not a normal white parent. I will spank you right here. I don't care. People will be like. Like, I, do not disrespect each other. There's a certain standard in this home. Based on our identity, based on who we are, there is a standard. The other day I was going to take Zoe out. I said, you better brush her hair. You better get pretty. You better do what you're going to do. You cannot come out with me looking sloppy. So, now, they were founded by him. From Ephesus, he was ordered to be sent to Rome, where it is affirmed that he was cast into a cauldron of boiling oil. Actually, it happened to him twice. They put him, they put John the Revelator in boiling oil. Oil. This is a historical account. This is not found in the Bible. This is found in history. Just so you know. People are like, you believe that book? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so he escaped by a miracle without injury. So what happened? They exiled him to the island of Patmos. Sarah and I were there. We were in the cave. I always say that because it was a place I always wanted to go. And it was really good. Now, he wrote and he received... The book of Revelation there. So think of the island of Patmos as a psych ward. A place for crazy people. A place for criminals. John was so old and brittle when he went there. They, John would say, the kingdom of God is coming. And the Romans were afraid of a 90 year old man that would say the kingdom of God is coming. They thought a foreign army was going to invade. There was so much power on his words. 90 years old. And we're afraid of everything. Masks, COVID, our own shadow. We have to wake up. We have to wake up. If you, if you encounter the Lord, the fear of everything else will fall off your life so fast. You, 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 it will just shake off you. Okay. Domitian, uh, he's the one that banished him to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Now, he is the only one out of the 12 that escaped martyrdom. The only one, Judas hung himself, and uh, the rest of them were martyred. He's the only one who showed up at the foot of the cross. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who's willing to lose it will save it. So when John receives this revelation that we're going we're to look at, John, we're going to look at Daniel, we're going to look at ultimately Jesus. And he, he is old, he's brittle, and he has outlasted everyone. Now, 
people think that the book of Revelation was written in 90 AD. I don't think so. I think that the book of Revelation was written right before the fall of Jerusalem in 68, 69. That's what I think. And people who are a lot smarter than me uh, think that as well. So that's great. I don't know that, but I, I have a historical sense in which that makes a lot more sense than that. Now, Paul at this time, Paul is already dead. That's why John is writing to Ephesus. Paul is the one who established Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. Paul used 12 men to reach the city of 100,000 people in two years. The gospel, everyone heard the gospel. So when he talks about your first love, which we're going to reference, he's talking about the most basic elements of the faith, which are simple. Teaching, preaching, feeding. The, 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 what Jesus did, the, the most simple things, preaching, teaching, feeding. First love, first works, the most basic stuff that Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Very basic. It was not like... He didn't, he didn't, you know, start a social working, you know, thing. He, he was out with the people, which is great if you do that. He was out with the people, healing, preaching, feeding, teaching. And teaching and preaching always, in the biblical sense, it always, it's always supernatural. In the, in the so there is, no, there is no biblical preaching without movement of the Holy Spirit and supernatural manifestation of power. Whether, it's, whether it produces repentance to change, whether it produces healing that reduces uh, repentance that brings change, whether it produces physical healing, there is, there is always something supernatural when the gospel is released because the gospel is not natural. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is not the power of God to go to heaven when you die. It is the power of God unto salvation. And you are not saved. You are being saved. So people who don't believe in the Holy Spirit are not even fair to the biblical text in the book of Ephesians. They don't even know what they're talking about. So if anyone tries to tell you that, you just look at the verbs, the tenses, and, 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 and they don't know what they're talking about. It's just dishonest. It's not even honest. Historically, it's not even honest. Okay. Now, Revelation 1, 1 through 9. Now, Revelation 1, 1 through 9, this is the prologue or this is what we would call the introduction. Like what I just did, that was the introduction. <laughs> that was so, so that was the prologue. Now, this is, this, is the, this is how the revelation is coming. So God has, the Father has the revelation, so he gives it to Jesus. And then Jesus gives it to the angel, and the angel carries it to John, but it is not for John, it is through John. And that is to the servants or to the douloses. Bless you which go to then the churches. But when God speaks to the churches, he speaks to the senior leader of the churches because that's the person he's going to hold responsible and that's the person that he's holding in his right hand. So when you see the mystery of his right hand, that is the senior leader that he's holding in his right hand, not the church. He walks among the candlestick, he walks among the church, but he holds the leader in his right hand. Isaiah says, you have been written on the palm of my hand. Jesus says, no one is able to pluck them from my father's hand. So you're going to see. So anyway, okay. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants, doulosis, slaves, those who are fully committed, fully given. So that means if you're not fully given, you cannot even begin to even hear and understand and perceive what he's even saying. Like the book of Acts says, oh, Theophilus. You know what Theophilus means? It means friend of God. You're not a friend of God because you sing, I am a friend of God. Remember that song, he calls me friend. That doesn't make you a friend of God. Singing that song don't make you a friend of God. What makes you a friend of God is when God tells you something, you do it. Jesus said, you are my friends if you obey what I say to do, if you obey my word. So the, you can sing, I'm a friend of God, till you turn blue in the face. But if you're disobedient and you don't obey God, you're not a friend of God. In fact, you're at enmity with God, even though you may come to church. All right. That's not the heart of God for you, though. He wants you to be his friend. Okay. Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. We say shortly take place, people go 2,000 years later. <laughs> what have you not heard about shortly take place? It's like, <laughs> it's like, I, I say I'm going to shortly have lunch. And that is like an hour, hour and a half, maybe. This is not three years from now I'm going to have lunch. <laughs> Unbelief always tries to push what God is doing now into the future. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness of the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So here, here's the thing. If you want to bear the testimony, you have to obey the word. You don't have a testimony without obedience. Obedience brings forth a testimony. A testimony is raw and real evidence. Real evidence can be scrutinized by a third party. Because it's real. Something that is real doesn't mind being tested. Go ahead, look at it. It's real. I had to, I had to send a watch for, for repair the other day. Before I could even send the watch, they said, you have to put the serial number in to see if it's real. So put the serial number in, da, 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 and then, boop comes up, welcome, you're part of the show, you're, the, you're valuable, you matter. Great. But if some, we don't even know, we don't even know if something is real until it's been tested. Okay. Now, he bore witness of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw. So people always think like the testimony is going to get me a blessing and a breakthrough. Yeah, it may. But the testimony also may get you exiled to a Greek island. I'm, I'd be like, I'm, I'm down. You send me there. You can exile me. <laughs> but that wasn't the idea of how we think of a Greek island today is not how John experienced that. That was like Bergen Pines or like, you know, the psych ward. And so he gets sent there and in a place of isolation where he's out of reach and supposedly he's no threat, he writes the last book of the Bible. So when, when man is done with you and, and they think you're done, God is like, nope, you're not done. And this book is not the last book that he wrote. It's the last book in the Bible. The last book that he wrote is the Gospel of John. He was so deeply marked by the book of Revelation 
by the revelation of Jesus Christ that he writes the book of John totally and completely different from any other gospel because he was marked. He, he is, in John, you, you see the I am proclamations. I am the bread of life. I, I, I am the good shepherd. I am, before he raises any, he tells people, I am the resurrection and the life. People must have been like, he is crazy. But it's not crazy when Lazarus comes forth. It's only crazy until it happens. People will not believe in you until they have to. Be so solid that you give them no choice. In Christ. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Here we go again. The time is near, and you go 2,000 years later. <laughs> church people are, honestly, church can make you mentally ill. I don't mean this church. But, but, but church, no, 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 church people, I'm sorry, church people can be dumb. If you just explain basic things to church people, they look at you like, I hope you're not a church person. I hope that you are the body of Christ. I hope you don't become inoculated by religion. You know what religion does to people? The Pharisees said to Jesus, we have never been anyone's slaves, and they're under Roman occupation right then and there when they tell them we have never been anyone's slaves. You were founded in slavery, pal. Religion can inoculate you to your situation. You can be, religion is dangerous. A relationship with Jesus will transform you. Religion, that's not what I'm talking about. Pure religion, yeah, that's visiting widows and orphans. That's doing things out of a pure heart. That's good. But religion, in the sense of the, 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 just, just the motions and, and, and the activity, but no transformation, that can make you mentally ill. And, and, you, and you can lose your cognitive ability to reason. Religious people can become very unreasonable. All right. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear. So there is a special blessing on the very person that reads this book. So I'll receive that blessing right now, Lord. <laughs> Any blessing you want to take, I'll take it. I'm a, you know, I want it. I want it all. <laughs> Every blessing is mine in Jesus. Eh? So... So, there is a blessing on the reader because most of the culture is illiterate. This is fact. By the way, this is historically fact. This is not, I'm not making this stuff up. And blessed is he who reads it and those who hear it. Why? Because there is a sense of urgency to what is being said. Okay? It's so urgent that you read it now and it still feels urgent. <laughs> anyway, okay. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Okay, who is he writing to? Come on, guys. I wish Brett was here. Brett, where are you? <laughs> the church is in Asia. He's not writing to seven church ages, he's not writing to the church in America. The Bible was written. Not to us, but for us. 
you can never take the scriptures outside its, of its original audience. If you take it outside of its original audience, you are sure to mishandle it. And we do that all the time. For example, we, the, uh, last week we were singing, remember that song, Great is thy faithfulness. You know that song? Do you know when Jeremiah wrote that song? Jeremiah wrote that lamentation. By the way, it was a, it was a lament, lament, lament. It wasn't like a little, little cute scripture verse you put on your bathroom wall because now you're saved. Lamentations 3, Deborah is saying, I think. He wrote that when Babylon came in, took over Israel, and plundered the city of Jerusalem, and there was dead bodies in the street, and Jeremiah was walking through the city, uh, through, through the city with dead bodies in the street, and Jeremiah says, great is, your faith, great is thy faithfulness, great is your faithfulness, because the judgments of God are part of the faithfulness of God and the righteousness of God. So imagine you walking through this, a city full of dead people and you go, great is your faithfulness because you kept your covenant. See, that changes the whole situation. We go, oh, great, is that faith. great is that faithfulness when you get your breakthrough, when you get your bonus. When you, but wait a second, great is your faithfulness when God executes his judgment and is faithful to his word. Great is, so it changed, so my, my point is that context changes things. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So there is a specific audience that he is writing to. Okay. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and from the ruler of the kings of the earth. Okay. Let's go to Isaiah 11 for a second. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. So this is the seven spirits of God that is sent forth into all of the earth. So this is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Seven always speaks of the number of completion. On the seventh day, God rests. Are you guys, are you guys with me? Yes. All right. So, bless you. So this is what he is referring to, the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of Yahweh. When you see the Lord, capital, that's the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit that adopts us whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. What, this is what he said to, to John. When you, the Spirit, when you see the Spirit descend and stay up, that's him. This is speaking of Jesus. So this is Isaiah prophesying. And this is John in the eternal realm of the heavens seeing that which came upon the earth. And so there's, there's a, this whole book is about the interaction of 
of, of heaven and earth in Jesus, by the way. Okay. Now, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and a ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, here it comes, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to God and Father, uh, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, this, this is really what I, what I want you to get in your spirit. Because everything begins and ends with the love that God has for you. If you don't operate from love, you'll operate from fear. If you don't operate from love, you'll, you'll operate from selfish ambition. If you don't operate from love, you'll operate from insecurity. If you don't operate from love, you'll operate from a false sense of urgency. It's not real. Things that are important don't scream at you. But things that are urgent scream at you. Like, like there's things that you have to do on your day off because if you don't do them, But things that are, that are really important, whisper. That's why you have to listen for the voice of God. To him who loved us and washed us in his own blood, which means the exchanging of his life for yours. Blood is not some sick, crazy thing. Blood is the exchange of life. So Jesus loves you, and Jesus gave himself for you. To him who loved us and washed us in his own blood. So, so you're loved, right? Say, I'm loved. You may not, now you may not, you're going, I'm not feeling that. I love feelings, I'll give you a hug later. I'm not talking about feelings, I'm talking about truth. The more you believe truth, and the more you engage with truth, the more truth changes how you feel. It wasn't supposed to be feelings establishing truth. It was supposed to be truth establishing feelings. That's why people are like, I fell in love. Well, you're going to fall out of love. Because love is an action verb. It's a choice, not a feeling. It may have feelings attached to it, but what are you going to do if the feelings and the warm fuzzy are not there, but you have to change the diaper? What are you going to do when the bond and the commitment is tested by tragedy? What will you do when the pressures of life are trying to pull you apart? What will you do when God himself has you go one way and has your, your spouse go another way, not to separate you for, for, forever, but because there is purpose in you going somewhere else. God has a purpose for my wife. Sometimes that purpose does not include being right here by me. So that, that's where love and trust and, and, and support come in, where you release the other to do what God has called them to do. My wife has always been great about that, where she's not needy and, and controlling and afraid and like a leech sucking the life out of me, but she releases me 
to do what God called me to do. See, if you're too needy, you got to get healed. That need is a vacancy that God wants to take up in your life. Okay. To him who loved us and washed us in his own blood and made us kings and priests. Now, this is what I want to talk to you about. Loved, washed, made. Say it with me. Loved, washed, made. Okay. In the ancient world, you could not become a priest because you went to Bible school. You could not become a priest because the pastor liked you and you could sing good. You could not become a priest because you did good graphic artwork and they say, why don't you speak on the microphone? You could not become a priest through carrying the bishop's briefcase. You can only become a priest through bloodline. You're either in or you're not in. Well, I want to be in. No, no, you're not in. It's like, well, I want to volunteer. No, you're not in. It's like, well, I'm really smart and very capable. No, no, you're not in. It's like, it's like, don't you. <laughs> You don't know where I went to university. You don't know who my dad is, pal. You're not in. You were only in through bloodline. Blood. You guys got to track with me for a second here. You could not become a king in Israel except through bloodline. This is still today. The Saudi family is worth... 1.4 trillion, that's on paper. Imagine what they're really worth. You cannot just say, hey, I want to join. They go, we don't know you. You don't have the same blood throwing, blowing through your vein. We don't know who you are. There's no applying. There's no, let me sign up. There's no, well, well you know, we're really looking for volunteers because... People still don't have a revelation of a great privilege it is to actually serve God, so we're begging for volunteers, for someone who died for them. <laughs> yeah, we'll make a cool video and get volunteers. No, no, and no. The only way you could become a king or a priest is through blood. So Jesus says, here, let me show you how this is going to work. I am the king of all kings, and I am not just a priest. I am not a Levite or an eyehopper or a monk or someone that lives a secluded life because I want to hide from the world I'm called to change in the name of prayer. No. I am the great high priest of your profession who made a way for you. In addition to making a way, I am the way. Jesus is talking, not me. I am. And so we don't have just a king. We have the king. We don't just have a priest. We have the great high priest. And so Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. I will exchange, to me, this is a good trade. I like good trades. Maybe you don't, you like to get ripped off, I don't know. But me, I like to make sure that this is a good thing working out for me. 
So I don't know about you, but I know a good deal when I see it. I, I can just see it. I don't know. Maybe you don't see that. I, by the grace of God, I, I'm anointed to shop. I can shop for you. I can shop for me. I can. She'll tell you, I'll go into the store and who will find it for you? By the grace of the Lord, I will find it. So I'm always looking. This is a great deal. Paul said it's such a great deal. He used the word scandalon in Greek or scandal. In other words, it's like he's getting ripped off. <laughs> like this is like, this is like really a good deal. The gospel is like still good news. <laughs> they, reached, they switched to this right now. It's like, you should not be right. <laughs> Man. So he says, look, I'm going to make you not forgiven sinners. Ooh. You ever hear someone go, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Cute. Then you're going to still behave like a sinner because that's what you're saying is first. Saved by grace. And you will live with a sin consciousness, not a righteousness consciousness. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Okay? God says, no. You're not just a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner saved by grace. Now you're a son or you're a daughter. You're not only a son or daughter, you're also a doulos, which means I own you. But he doesn't just own you. He dignifies you and goes, if you're mine, if you belong to me, all my citizens are royal citizens. See, I'm looking for a kingdom of priests. That was his original intention in Exodus. He brought them out of Egypt, not so they can be slaves and go to church on Sunday. No, no, no. He brought them out so that they could be a kingdom of priests. Can I tell you what a, what a, what a priest was in, in the ancient Near East culture? A priest was someone who is distinguished, who has privilege, who has influence. Not someone sloppy and, and, and dull and no. No. A priest was the one that would speak the blessing of God on his people. You got to be real careful who you let speak to your children. You better watch out who you let speak over and to your children. You spit out any type of negative stuff, Sarah will see, she'll tell you, Zoe will immediately rebuke you. You come with anything, immediately it'll be met by faith. Even on us, she'll use it on us. Yep. Tell us later. We got a lot of preachers. So he says, no, no, no. I, you know, I'm going to be honest. I'm not getting to where I want to get. 
I just got to have a moment of honesty. I wanted to be in Revelations, Revelations 3 right now. I'm still in Revelation 1 here. But kings and priests. Okay, what is a priest? A priest ministers to the Lord. What does a king do? A king ministers for the Lord. A priest has access into the heavens. A king has authority on earth. Are you, are you tracking with me? So Jesus has made a way for you to go to the Father. So that means that you're a son and you're a daughter. That means, do you know, you know that the whole point of the gospel is so that the Father's house would be full? The Father's house would be full. You know what that means? That means there's enough. That means that, well, if, if Deborah gets a breakthrough, then I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm not. Or if Julius gets promoted, then I get demoted. Or I got to fight for the attention that Isaac is getting, because then maybe one day I can be affirmed. Or I got to see if, well, can you bench press more than me? Ooh. And everything is a competition. Not in the kingdom. Maybe at the football game, sure. Have fun. Have at it. But not in the kingdom of God. No. This is not a competition. You are sons and you are daughters. There are things that are beautiful and unique about my children. And I celebrate the beautiful and the unique. I am not wanting them to be, I don't want Elijah to be more like justice. And I don't want justice to be more like Elijah. I want them to be full and whole and self-controlled and powerful versions of themselves. God cannot bless who you want to be or who you're trying to be. God can only bless who he's created you to be. See, that's, that's very important. Someone heard that. That's how you received that. Someone is receiving that. Jose is receiving that. God will not bless what you want to be or want to do. God will bless who he's called you to be. The authority and the provision and the grace is on the call of what he's, what he's called you to do. He's given John the revelation for the churches that he called him to write to. So John is not overstepping his metron. He's being faithful in the metron that he has been given. That's why you see these guys on the internet. These guys on the internet, they are criticizing everyone on the internet, YouTube. Hello, officer. They are, I feel safer now that you're here. They are criticizing everyone, but it's not their metron. They have a criticism for everyone that has never even planted a church. They will tell people how to be married. They're not even married. They've been married two times. And they have a criticism for everything and everyone, but they don't know how to build. They haven't built anything. Nothing. I'm talking about internet prophets. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Keyboard warriors, keyboard thugs. And, and, and so that, that's, that is not, 
that, that is overstepping your metron. There are things that I will say to this church that I wouldn't say if I was invited to speak to someone else's congregation because I'm not responsible for them at the level that I'm responsible here. The same way I will speak to my children, I will not speak to your children the way I will speak to my children. Because I don't know your standard. I don't, I don't know exactly what you do. Okay. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Every eye will see him. Uh, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come. The first thing he says is, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is not the Beta. I'm going to let that sit for a second. In a culture of betas, where women have become dominant, Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega. Don't get mad at the preacher. I am the alpha and I am the omega. Now, Jesus is a Jew. By the way, he'll always be a Jew. He's fully God, but his fully man side is a Jew. And he doesn't have blonde hair and blue eyes like you might have saw. He's brown. And he's a Jew. And John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which you're going to find in, in a second. But the prologue here says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. The omega is the finality, so he is the beginning and the ending. Now, this is very, very important because he says this three times, three ways. One of the things you realize if, if you're married is if your wife really says something and keeps saying something, she either wants you to get the message or you have not got the message, or both. The thing about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't run out of things to say. So Jesus is like, well, how are we going to land this ship? Like, his ship is never landing. He's just going to keep sailing forever. And he has an infinite amount of wisdom and things to say. So if he repeats himself, he's not going senile. And if he says something multiple times, it's because it is critical for this to get settled in your spirit. Now, let me give you an example. Some things are not settled in your life. Why, why, what do you mean? Some people, you have not settled that I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give God the first 10%. If I make $100 or $10 million, I'm going to give God the first 10%. It's not settled in your spirit. It's not settled. Another one, I am not going to have sex with any woman or anyone except my wife for the rest of my life until one of us dies. <laughs> then I might get a new wife or she can get a new husband or whatever you got to do. But as long as you're alive and we're married, sexual activity outside of this is a no-go. That, that has to get settled in your spirit. If that's not settled, you will entertain things that could destroy what you're trying to build and what God has brought together. So there's certain things in your life that have to get settled. For example, when you, when you have truth, when truth is the thing that defines you and your family and how you're going to interact, 
That's very important because truth, truth brings parameters and boundaries. Parameters and boundaries are not about control, they're about freedom. They're about safety. For example, let's just say you, there's a beautiful woman, but she's a Christian. She is a beautiful woman, but she is a sister in the Lord. Now, unless you're from Arkansas, you're not trying to bang your sister. How am I going to say that? They're like, this guy's crazy. Yes, I am crazy. But here's the thing. Now, if you set that boundary as she's a sister, that is, that is a truth that helps set safe boundaries that says I will not sexualize my sister. Right? I'm giving you an example because this is the truth. The more truth you have in your inner, on the inside, think of truth as wealth. Do we all want more money? Come on, don't get religious on me. I'll be the first one to tell you. Somebody, somebody heard me. So think of truth as value or as wealth in the spirit. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Do you know that wisdom attracts wealth? The Bible does not tell me to seek promotion. The Bible says, seek after and search after wisdom and she will promote you. The Bible doesn't tell me to seek all these things. The Bible says seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That means things will seek you that you are not seeking. So if you can keep it focused, boundaries. When I was a young man, I liked girls. The Lord said to me, I was trying to live holy. You know what he said to me? Adam, if you keep your eyes at eye level, you'll be good. So I walked like this. <laughs> because, you know, you always pursue what you're looking at. Hello? The <laughs> Let's... <laughs> Let... <laughs> Some of you should walk around with a neck brace. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, let me stop. All right, I'm going to get out of here. Help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. I am the beginning. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, the word beginning is, is RK, which is oh, so much. All right, I'm the beginning and the end. Who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. He, he calls himself, I don't know if you're catching this, Jesus is calling himself the Almighty God. Yet in all that might and in all that strength, he laid down his life. Do you, do you know that the most profound expressions of power are not what you do, but what you don't do? I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island, which is called Patmos, for the word and for the, of God and the testimony of Jesus. Listen, let me just say one thing. 
Kingdom, let's just, I wish I had a white drawing board like a football coach. Kingdom is, is a big circle word. And the two arrows that point to that are tribulation and patience. You can never separate kingdom from tribulation and patience. So <laughs> all of the beautiful things that come with kingdom, which are really great, by the way, because in the kingdom, there's no sickness. There's no lack. There's no poverty. There's no disease. There's no death. There's no strife. There's no lack. There's no competition. The kingdom is life. But you can never detach kingdom from tribulation and patience. So let me just say this. Anytime you hear me talk about kingdom, let me just safeguard myself now. I am always talking about and never excluding patience and tribulation. That's a very important thing because people hear kingdom, kingdom now, kingdom here, power, kingdom, breakthrough, miracle, God, kingdom. Yeah, okay, sure. But, wait, there's the but. There's the patience. And there's a tribulation. Because for the kingdom to break in, there's conflict. Okay, for peace to be established, you might start off with strife. I don't know if you have strife in your home. Strife in your home will, cut, will, will, will hurt your sex life, will hurt your cooking life. You're not going to get cooked for if you get strife. You're going to have all types of problems if there's contention and strife in the home. But ha here's what happens. When there's peace in the home, everyone can then function in their role safely. That's beautiful. That's a, that's a good thing. This is what I pray over your life, peace and over your home. Okay, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Not I was in the flesh on the Lord's day. Not I was doing what I wanted to do on the Lord's day. I was in the spirit. This is speaking of focus. I was in the spirit. It doesn't mean he was in a prison. It's like, you know, so you can be in the spirit at your job. You can be in the spirit on vacation. You can be in the spirit on your day of rest. Or it could be your day of rest and you're still not in the spirit. <laughs> you, know, that's all, you know, that's why many people, they go on vacations, but they cannot find rest. Rest is not just physical. If people do not have peace in their spirit, you cannot have rest when you're with them. That's what trauma does. Trauma does not allow someone to have peace. Trauma, you, you, you build a callus over your trauma, which is a false sense of peace, and there's no real peace. That's why when someone is stuck with themselves, they can't be alone because they don't have peace. That's a whole other message. So anyway, we've got to get out of here. I am the Alpha, the Omega. He says it again. I don't know if you're tracking with me. He, said, he says this again. I am the Alpha, the Omega. The first protos, where we get the word prototype. 
Protos. I am the Protos. I am. So that means that, that the goal is for you to be like Jesus. But who he's created you to be. So not just Jesus on himself. Like, no, no, no. But Jesus in who? In you. So that means all of him covering all of you. So that means that his character, right, his virtue, his nature, his power, but on your, on your shell, with your personality, with your interests, with your desires, but sanctified. That's not, people die to the wrong things. Many people are dying to the things God created them for. Because they haven't sanctified their life. They, they, they don't, so it's like, it's hard for them to connect with who they're supposed to be. Do you know what sanctification is? It's not about God killing your past. It's God about God preparing you for your future. The cross has already dealt with your past in full. But sanctification is God preparing you for your future. It's, it, it's, so anyway, okay. I am the first and the last eschatos. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches that are in Asia... To Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his feet like flames of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as it refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am he who lives, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which, are, uh, and the things which will take place place after this, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So what, is, what, what, what do we learn right here? The Bible interprets the Bible. So this is important. The Bible was not written to you. It's not 1 Adam 3.2. No, no, no. It's 1 Timothy. So the Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. So we first want to know what does it mean to the audience it was written, and then how do we apply that truth to our lives? You cannot skip, skip step one. If you skip step one, you are not holding the, the Bible faithfully. You're not holding it and handling it correctly or in its proper context. This is a very, very important thing and this is going to get more important as we go forward because more false things are arising because the internet and social media has given a voice to people who deserve no voice. I had to say that. And just because a lot of people are listening doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. It's all about who's listening. Okay. God's correction is an expression of his love. We never neglect what we really love. And I tell you that it's not easy to handle that. 
Because that brings you into a sobering reality where you become uncomfortable with yourself a little bit. That's all right. If you don't have some discomfort, you won't change. Discomfort is good. Now, Revelation 5, dang, 19 through 20, is when Jesus says the Father loves the Son and shows him all things, phileo. So Jesus knew that his ministry direction and his moves, his ministry moves and his moves in this life were an expression of the Father's love for him. Matthew 22, 1 and 2, it says the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king that made a wedding for his who? His son. So the kingdom functions and operates based on the father's love and honor that he has for his son. So before there was a problem, before sin, God was motivated by love for his son. God is not motivated by sin. God is motivated by love. And he made a way for sin to be overcome and defeated in Jesus. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh by living in the flesh and not sinning. Which means you can have victory in the flesh. So if you think that you cannot have victory, you get, yes, you can. Here's, here's one that you're going to get a revelation of. If you have a sexual issue that you, you have, have in your life and you know, nobody knows maybe, but you have a sex issue, a problem, do you know the, 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 the key to that victory? It was in the circumcision of Jesus. Every time Jesus bled and suffered, it was for you to be free of something. Free of all uncleanness. Based on the covenant. So I'm telling you this, no matter what you're struggling with, you can be free. All right. That was free one. Revelation 1, 5 and 6, to him who loved us, washed us and made us, knowing that you're loved, knowing that you are called, knowing that you are valuable, knowing that you are chosen. That will affect your ability to decide wisely. I'm going to give you a short story. Years ago, my son Justice, he got himself stuck in between two couches. And the, the impulse when you're a parent, especially when you're first parenting, the impulse is save him. And then you get two kids and then you bounce down the stairs and you're like, you'll be all right. And you know, you just, you're like, <laughs> like but in the beginning, you're like, you know. And some of you still are like that, but see, I'm not, so whatever. So then he's stuck in between two couches. Now, he's not in danger, but he's stuck. And he's getting frustrated. And he's like looking at me like, help him. I'm not going to help you. I looked him in his face and I said, you can do it. You can get out of there. He looked at me, went like this, lifted himself up and got right out. What he needed was not me to do it for him, but you can do it. That's what he needed. And, and when you know you're loved, that's the spirit that the Father releases on you, empowering you, knowing you're loved, and you can do it, but in and through Christ. But you, you can do it. Not in your own strength, not by your own will, but through his support and through him saying, yes, you can, yes, you can. Like you guys saw, the Lord said, we're going to do a crusade. We're going to finish the year strong. I didn't make that up. That's what the Lord said. That's what you're seeing. So we always want to have a listening ear and then act in faith because that's where God releases power. Okay, 
Now, let me go here. This is, this is here, Daniel, seeing the Lord. And this is John seeing the Lord. Do you remember when, 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 the Lord, when, when the Lord shows up to Daniel? You know what he says to him? Oh man, greatly beloved. Remember that? You know he didn't have to say that to John? Because John knew. Sarah's going like this to me. I feel, I'm feeling unsafe. <laughs> so, he knew. In fact, he said, when he wrote the book of John, he said, the disciple whom the Lord loved. Ha! You know, lovers will always outperform workers. And lovers will always outlast workers. To know you are loved by God. That will make you, that will fortify you on the inside. Not naturally. Supernaturally, that, that will do something that will anchor you. you. Your roots will go down. There will be a settledness in you. In other words, you, you don't have anything to prove. You're not trying to impress anyone. You're not in competition with anyone. I'm not here to be liked. You, you just do what you're called to do because you know you're loved and you're called. And you're chosen by God. So John sees more than Daniel saw. Jesus does not just reveal all of who he is in one moment. It's just too much. Even in, in the book of Revelation, you don't see the crown on Jesus till Revelation 19. See, you got you to gotta watch the throne. You got to look at Jesus. We're, not, we're, we're doing the wrong thing with the book of Revelation. So anyway, then I turned to see the voice. How in the world are you going to turn to see a voice? That's no joke. But it says at first his voice was as the sound of a what? So, so Daniel says a multitude when he's standing alone. Track with me. John hears the voice of God as a trumpet. What is a trumpet to do? A trumpet is to get your attention. Then Jesus begins to speak and it says that his voice was as the sound of what? Many waters. What is he about to do in Revelation 2 and 3? He's about to wash his church. His voice always sounds like what he's doing. You have to be careful of your tone. The other day I was talking, I didn't like my tone. So I apologize to someone. You have to be sensitive to your tone. Sometimes your tone is not right. When you respect people, you watch your tone with them. When they respect you, they watch your tone with you. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and the seven, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, so you have seven lampstands, and right in the center, do you know you always see Jesus in the center? 
That's, that's, there's a word right there. That means that he is, he is how the Father measures everything by. He is the Father's point of reference, which means he should be our point of reference. Everything should be measured by Jesus. Okay. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band, his head and his hair were white as snow, white as wool, white as snow. John doesn't see that. Excuse me. Daniel, my bad. Daniel doesn't see that. John does. His, white, his hair is white like wool. That's a picture of the spirit of wisdom. See? And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like fine brass. And his voice was as the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he holds the seven stars. So the seven stars were the seven leaders that he was going to address, who he is going to hold responsible for the issues that are going on in the church. So if you're, if you're the man of the house, God will hold you responsible. God always speaks to the person that he's going to hold responsible. Let's say the man is not listening, then you listen. Then you listen for him. Okay. And in his right hand, seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. Daniel did not see a sword in his mouth. Daniel did not see his hair that was white like wool. John did. When, when he saw Daniel, he said, Hey, greatly beloved. He didn't have to tell John that. John already knew that. God, why am I saying this? God wants to reveal himself to you. That is the thing that will produce change in your life. What's wrong with us doesn't produce change. You've known what's wrong with you for years. Everyone close to you knows what's wrong with you. You probably know what's wrong with me. That doesn't change. That doesn't bring change. But seeing him, that is the thing that fuels energizes and empowers us to change we need do you know can i just say one thing do you know the men that saw this they stood against every opposition the world was able to throw at them do you know these people these men uh, these are nonviolent men the most powerful Governments in the world could not shut these men down. You see him, you become unshakable. Unshakable. And can I tell you something? We need that. Are you, like nowadays, everyone is back and forth. What happened to firmness? No. Solid. They, they became unshakable. This dude was thrown in a lion's den. They put this guy in boiling oil. He was exiled. 
And still, when they saw the glorified Jesus, they were able to stand and withstand anything and everything. That is what we need. What happened to men like that? You know what David said? David said, tremble, all you kings of the earth. Kiss the son, lest he get angry with you. Now we got guys that want to take a picture with the devil who's a politician. I don't care about a picture. Where are people that will say, tremble, all you kings of the earth? Where are men with a backbone who, who, who are not afraid? All right. I cannot, can I tell you the truth? I did not even get into my message. I, did not, I, can't, I can't get into it. When Jesus encounters the church, I'm opening my Bible up again. That's dangerous. <laughs> Sarah's is really against me. Think of the children's church workers. Let me give you one good one. Can I give you a good one? I'm going to leave you with a good one. So that you, This is the faithful church. This is the church of Philadelphia. This is the only good one, really. They're all bad, you know? It's like, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he was holy, he was true, he has the key of David who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. I indeed will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I've loved you. <laughs> because you have kept my word, my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast uh, what you have that no man may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out and in no more. He shall go out no more. In other words, he'll be there permanently. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Um, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is the only positive, fully positive like, thing that he's saying. So you, you look at the churches and Ephesus is the church that lost its first love. And then you have the persecuted church, but they got some people in there who are of the synagogue of Satan who put ethnicity before faith. That's a wicked bondage. And then you got the compromised church of Pergamos, the corrupt church of Thyatira. You got all these, you got the dead church of Sardis. The, <laughs> then you got the faithful church, and then you got the lukewarm church. So they're all not good except one. And there's an illustration here but this is the only one where Jesus is saying that I have the key of who? All the other things, Jesus says, I'm he who has the seven stars. I'm he who has the seven spirits of God. I am he who has this, 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 this. But this one, he says, I am the one who has the key of David. It's very important. You have the, th the throne of David that Jesus came to rule on. Jesus built the house of David. He's from the branch of David. And he has and, and, and the key of David. This is all stuff. God yokes himself 
to David eternally because that was his friend. God never forgets his friends. God doesn't forget. When you know that God will not forget you and that your future is secure in him, you will live differently. You will think differently. You will approach trouble differently. You will approach trials differently. You will approach abundance differently. If you know that your future is secure in him, you will approach everything differently. Everything. Now, the key of David opens a door that no one can shut and shuts a door that no one can open. Intimacy with God is the key that opens doors that no man can open. And it also shuts doors that need to be shut. Some of you are in a season in your life where you better shut the door. You better shut the door and you better lock that door. There are things that are meant to be closed for good. Shut it down. Sometimes you have to just take your losses, learn from them, then it'll be a gain, but shut it down. All right. Now, I know your works. I, so he says to them, basically, you have kept my word. I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to make you a solution to the problems that other churches are facing. But there's one, there's one reason why. This is the reason I want to get, and then I'm done, because they've been done for half an hour. But this is very important. I, I, want, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. <laughs> what does that mean? Okay. You have people. They have a misunderstanding concerning the gospel. They think that you kind of got to be Jewish before you can then be Christian. So I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but this is the spirit of it. And there's people that are like, they think that Jews are like first-class Christians today, and, and you have the idolatry of Israel. You have all this, and then you have anti-Semitism. People are all confused. And you have Puerto Rican people wearing yarmulkes and black people that think they're Israelites. So you have all types of white people. How did they go, Jews all get white? You got all these confusion. People are crazy. People are really crazy. And uh, it's because they don't know the truth, but the truth makes you free. So they had this belief system that basically you got to be a Jew. And, you know, and so Jesus says that is the synagogue of Satan because the blood was shed for all people. So Jesus is saying to Philadelphia, because of your intimacy, because of your worship, they are going to get free from false worship and they're going to get free from it in your church. And it's so that they know that I love you. It doesn't say so, so that they will know that I love them. <laughs> so that they will know that I love you. Why? Because you have persevered. You have kept my word. So I'm going to break false worship and I'm going to establish true worship so that you know that I love you, Philadelphia, brotherly love. That you know that I love you, that my love is for you, that my agape is toward you. So there's things that God does in your life for you to know God loves you. I just want to say to you, hold on. Just, just hold on. Just persevere. Just obey the word of God. Do what God says. Don't tell me what you feel. Do what God says. 
Do what God says. Hold on. Hold fast. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who does not give up on us, but you hold us in your hand. That our names are written on the palm of your pierced hands and that no one is able to pluck us from the Father's hand. So Lord, we thank you for your constancy, for your consistency, for your love for us, Lord. We want to have a fresh encounter with you, God, a fresh revelation of you so that we could represent you well in the earth, Lord. Thank you uh, for the people that we're going to be able to bless today. Thank you for Joseph and going and doing what he does, Lord. We appreciate that and we appreciate, Lord, the opportunities that you've given us to be a blessing. And Lord, we lift up Pastor Luden today. Yes that you would strengthen him, that you would give him grace, that you would fill him with the Holy Spirit, that you would fill him with hope, and that you would fill him with an in-season word at the right time for the people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv invite.